0: Hey
1: everybody, welcome back to Adventures in Machine Learning. Today on the panel is myself, Ben Wilson, and Daniel. And our guest today is, is Abulash, who's an ML engineer who has a, a pretty fascinating background and a lot of a lot of fun things to, to share in our topic today. Before we get into his intro, today's topic is going to be primarily around a topic that we've talked about a couple times in the show recently, which is what What's next after you figure out how to get something into production, whether it be something incredibly simple or something that is incredibly complex with machine learning and, and, and deep learning? What happens after you get it into production and what happens when it's no longer stable? How do you check for that? What are the best ways to do that, implement validations? And then also, how do you determine if that thing is still doing what you originally set it out to do?
2: Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast, and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story, about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv, and I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are gonna help you to build the career that you want. Right? So whether you wanna be an influencer in tech, Once again, that's topenddevs.com.
1: So, with that as our topic, Abhilash, please introduce yourself.
0: Hey, hi everyone. Hi Ben. Thanks for getting into the podcast. So, I'm Abhilash. I'm from India. Currently, I'm working with Sensius, apart from the business and operations, uh, leading the efforts in the business and operations. And uh, so, I was an engineer prior, and I drifted toward business because I see the opportunity and having a keen interest on business. So the I did my master's in international business. So moving around the world from Oxford to King's College to Japan, so I learned that there are certain nuances that I wanted to explore in artificial intelligence and machine learning. So I worked at another company called Alpha. and uh, it was primarily natural language, voice assistant, for Tableau. Pretty intriguing. And uh, exploring that, I thought that let's start a business and uh, let's do a lot of AI research in augmented reality. Why not mix those words? And I started Kidia. During the process, I explored this company called Sensius, and they were doing pretty amazing stuff. So we discovered why not take that next step in the machine learning pipeline? Why not uh, take a next plunge? Uh, why is everybody building models in production? Let's go the next step forward. So we built a model AI, a machine learning model AI observability platform, which basically monitors and Gives you a result of the real-world visibility of machine learning model, so yeah, it's pretty amazing. And yeah, we are going to talk about what you should be doing after your models are being deployed, and how do you basically analyze the performance and monitor drifts. Yeah,
1: yeah. So people coming from backgrounds that aren't in solving business use cases. So somebody who's not coming from a BI background, you know, BI. BI and analytics professionals and statisticians, when they get started early in their career, they know that data shifts and that everything that they're, they're trying to build projects around is mutable. It is constantly shifting. Regardless of what you're looking at, data shifts. And it's really the, the underlying whatever problem you're trying to solve, whether it be you're analyzing customers or you're analyzing, like you said, natural language processing. How does language shift over time? How do semantics shift over time? Are you talking about NLP on official pr- publications or are you talking about analyzing stuff like Twitter? and how people's speech patterns changed mimetically over time. So if we were looking at something from the perspective of not a statistician or an analyst coming into working on ML, coming from a development background or a data engineering background, typically you're writing a project that you're not expecting things to change. You write controls around it and say, hey, I'm expecting that You know, I'm doing a summation here, so I'm going to do a test that says... I'm going to test does one plus one equal two. It passes. Okay, cool. But in the world of ML, that doesn't cut it. We don't write unit tests like, well, we do write unit tests that that validate stuff like that, but we're doing validations of, hey, my data that's coming in and it's super complex. Can I ensure that each of these features that are coming into this algorithm are consistent? Do they have the same statistical distribution or the same ordinal distribution over time? So... What did you learn? What was the big thing, the big game changer when you went from engineering into learning about ML and AI? Why the shift to focusing on post-deployment health monitoring?
0: So starting from engineering, shifting towards machine learning, you know, primary ML, what a big change. And uh, I thought that if you're solving the enterprise problem, you need to get into their data and get into their ML infrastructure. And one thing I've learned, which was a game changer, was... Machine learning models are not static, they are dynamic. And models can go away for numerous reasons. Maybe there is a drift, maybe there are KPS not being met, maybe the predictions are biased. So so solving all these questions, sometimes answers are sought when that happens and it's very late. So for that reason, multiple things go around. So, for example, uh, if there is a concept drift, so it might be concerning to a data scientist. If there is a new model version performing better or not, that might concern a machine learning engineer. Uh, when in fact, if I'm talking from a business perspective, is the business KPR being met or the predictions are biased or not, that might hamper the outcome of a business leader. So, we addressed all of these machine pipeline issues. Uh, so, I thought there was a missed opportunity that we can bridge. And these are the limited knowledge of model behavior in real world that can have far uh, reaching consequences. Just to address that, without continuous monitoring, data quality issues and model drifts creep in silently causing models to fail, resulting in degrading the business. So because of that, and this particular uh, missed opportunity, we kind of, thought that, okay, this is what we can offer and how we can monitor these kind of uh, potential compliance issues or maybe we can do the model checks. So with no way to analyze model performance across different versions and environments, all these practitioners are relying on ad hoc processes resulting in slower resolution issues. So that's why we took this plunge on building this AI observability platform so it will make effortless to monitor the pipeline as well as analyze issue and explain the models. Because one problem that we currently face as well is the black box. In the absence of model explainability, teams cannot understand why a model decision was made, or whether it's biased or resulting in models that are not robust and fair. So explaining model, again, that's a pretty big uh, step in the model observability. So yeah, this basically made the change. You brought up
1: a really interesting point that I haven't heard a lot of people talk about that much. I mean, I repeat it a lot, not so much on this podcast, but when I talk to individual people about, you know, what does production ML really look like? And we focus so much as an industry on model metrics, like, hey, how do your cross-validation metrics? What, what's your error loss looking like on this model? And I use those as, as for tuning whenever I'm I'm building a, an implementation, but I don't care about them really because uh, it's just an estimation of how well you're you're correlating and. When I tell it to people that they're like, Well, what do you mean? Like RMSE is is the goal of of a linear model. You need to just focus on that. I'm like, no, I don't care. The business doesn't care. And there's also a disconnect between the output prediction of your model and how it actually influences reality. And you brought that up in what you were saying. There's a this little gold nugget in in your uh, your speech there that that you mentioned KPI and how well does that particular solution solve a business problem and the disconnect that can happen that I've seen, and it's actually burned me before previous jobs that I've had where I implement something, we run predictions on a scheduled basis. This goes into some table. And then some people read that table and make business decisions based on that. We're not gonna we're not gonna directly couple our pipeline output of a prediction to our bank account. I mean, I'm sure some people do, I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> but there's always a human in the loop whenever you're talking about a, a serious influential model unless you're talking about direct business to customer type stuff on websites but if we're saying you know for instance if we had a model that's predicting what is the potential profitability of our company purchasing property and we go out and say well the the land value we're predicting of this plot of land is so many millions of dollars and if we were to develop on it and then sell that, how much profit will we get? So we build an ML model to, to sort of extrapolate that based on the features of that region and what we're going to build there. And we do some simulations. Well, we're not going to have that model's output directly go and start filing paperwork to purchase that plot of land. Somebody's got to sit there and look at that and make a decision. So if we're not monitoring not only the output of the prediction, but how people actually use our models and what is that impact to the business itself then we can be we can very easily misguide ourselves into thinking the model's not performing because the business isn't performing
3: mm. and i think you know your data is only good on what's going on in the current year because you know data is very relative right now at my current job i'm working in a healthcare industry and we're trying to like use natural language processing to predict like what medications you want. So obviously before 2020, the text descriptions you were going to ask for something were going to be nothing related to COVID. But then suddenly in 2020, 2021, if you're using an existing model and then people are suddenly entering things for COVID related diseases, you know, like shortness of breath or whatever, uh, your model is going to fall short or be widely inaccurate. So It makes sense that you want to have something, I don't know, to measure uh, techniques for concept drift. I'm sure your project has like special metrics to measure concept drift, like let's say sentiment analysis or topic modeling, like modeling what type of words and to have like some sort of metric to give you like an automatic alarm if something is like automatically off, for example. Yeah.
0: So uh, I'll break it down in like very uh, Mm. simple terms. And
3: uh, yeah, you were saying? Are you asking me?
0: Yeah, I was saying I want to break it down into very simple. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah yeah, yeah, go ahead. yeah, yeah. So first of all is identify. So we can put up monitors on top of every model mm. just to see what sort of monitors that we're putting. Let's say we're putting data quality monitors, performance monitors, and drift monitors. Then drift monitor, we have data drift concept, drift, but performance monitor, we have accuracy, specificity, precision, sensitivity, all of that missing value. For data quality monitors, we have data management, all of that. So these monitors basically identify issues before it's too late. Of course, you are going to put an alert on that based on the severity level, that how it might impact the performance of your model health. Hmm. Now, the second part will probably perform the root cause analysis to understand model anomaly. So you can pinpoint to the root cause and get dive, deep dive into it and understand okay why this particular thing happened and what should you be doing to fix that model now this way you can get to the total service the better ai performance for the real world and for the future so it's Pretty easy to set up monitors because we have configured uh, predefined monitors as well, just to, to cater to the uh, enterprises as well as you can build your own monitor. Then you can track these monitors and track the violations and analyze issues without writing any codes. So that's how you can observe the entire model as well as the entire project. Let's say your project have ten thousand models, you can track those things. So we made it pretty uh, easy to handle for any of the use cases that we are talking about.
1: So monitoring without having to set alerts it sounds like probabilistic programming to me which is a, like super cool so if you're talking about probability that a particular event comes in if we're looking for say a black swan event covid is a pretty big black swan event over the last decade uh 2008 financial Ooh. crisis another one i mean some people saw that coming but you know most people didn't when we have everything just get table flipped in front of us like the entire nature of what we're trying to model just goes completely nuts. That's one thing. And those are really really hard to, to detect beforehand, but when they do happen, you really know that it's happening because everything falls apart. But what you're talking about, where you could have 10,000 features that you're, you're looking at and going through your monitoring tool. And to do that historically, you would have to do a bunch of EDA on those features. And on the predictions as well, if you're talking about hundreds of models, that takes a lot of time where you're looking at each feature and saying, all right, over a a time horizon window, what is the distribution of this? What is the variance within these bands? What should I set my alerts to? But you're talking about doing that autonomously to set those, which is, can you talk a little bit about what that probability alert would be, say, on a continuous feature?
0: Yeah, so... so you can integrate sensous platform directly with your modules so you have to log in and you know enter all your uh, log details a pretty simple python SDK and you get to this uh, uh, platform then you can set up monitors on top of that okay so depending on whatever the city level depending on what the conditions that you're putting as well as the threshold you can add these monitors and you can check those on a real-time basis okay and Eventually, we are catering towards building a segregated dashboard for individual projects that you can see. It will help to the CXOs and the BBS level, which are the business leaders. So that's where we are catering to. And about these uh, predictions and the models, yes, it is real time data that we are using. And yeah, I mean, it's a lot in process, I would agree when it comes to natural language processing uh, data and but yeah, at the moment, uh, su- uh, supervised data that we are processing.
1: Awesome. So interfacing with this and what sort of infrastructure would you need in order to interface with your, your product?
0: The best part is it is platform and product agnostic. So we know that companies use open source tools like Tfetch, stored Feast, or Dusk. So we integrate with all of these tools as well. And we also provide cloud and on-premise solutions for the same. So it depends on company's infrastructure, how mature their machine learning infrastructure is, as well as what sort of tool that they're using for model deployment. And is there any uh, models are in production? So based on that, we uh, kind of integrate this particular platform because it's a pretty easy process. Like, how do you take five to six minutes to get started?
1: And that's really palatable when you're, you're talking about managing infrastructure of this nature. If you don't have a service that you're using such as this, setting all this up for yourself for one model and one project, yeah, it's probably a couple of sprints worth of work at the end. Like, hey, okay, we have this solution. We know what our features are. We, we're we setting this up for operational usage in production.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then you're going to do a couple of sprints of saying, all right, let's make sure that we're monitoring all of our features. Let's make sure we write this ETL that's going to be analyzing all of this and giving us a report every day or every six hours or every hour, and then analyzing the prediction saying, based on our train data, here's what the the prediction or th- that came out of that was since the last time that we trained it. And then all of the predictions that we're, we're generating over through time, we're going to compare it to that and say, do we have drift here? What is our Earth mover distance between these two? Mm. And as, as you do that for one... One project, yeah, it's a couple of sprints worth of work. But when you're talking about enterprise level, which is what you're mentioning, supporting that, some of the enterprise accounts that I've interacted with, these big companies that are fairly established in the ML AI space, they'll have 2000 models in production. Yeah. And retroactively and going back and building that, that monitoring for that is pretty yeah. substantial.
3: And the dirty secret with a lot of companies is that. The people who monitor the production, like you might have huge companies like, you know, Moody's or Johnson and Johnson, but the data science team and the production team, it all goes down to like three or four people and one or two people who are monitoring everything. So, you know, it's up to that one or two people, one or two people who make or break everything. They're the ones who have to like deploy everything. And. One of my last jobs, like the person who was responsible for productionalizing everything, he basically had no life because he had to like monitor all these things that are going up, monitor the reports. So something like that, you know, could give him a lot more hours and rest time the way the companies are structured at the moment.
2: Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and Go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching.
1: That brings up, um, uh, it's almost like a meta discussion about why companies Um, like the one that you're working uh, for right now, Avilash, why they're a thing right now and this disjointed structure that has happened over the years at most companies where the data science and ml teams are segregated from engineering typically because they're just building Mm -hmm. a model and they're running experiments and it's a different sort of work it's a different working model but it's also a different paradigm that they're operating in it's not you can't take pure agile principles and put it to machine learning work it it just doesn't work you have to adapt it in some way and because of this and the lack of experience and knowledge in a data science team of software development techniques it just means that they're siloed to a certain degree so you need this bridge like oh we need to hire ml engineers and we need to hire an ml devops person Uh, just as daniel said one person probably not the best idea but usually a team at a big company of maybe a dozen people that are doing that MLOps pure focused work. But it's further segregating out when you do that, when you silo these teams, it's a handoff process. You're kicking it over the wall to the next person like, hey, I built the model, not my problem anymore. Uh, that's that's MLOps team's problem. And then MLOps team is like, okay, we have 147 models that we're monitoring right now. We have to write all of this you know, boilerplate monitoring code around all of these processes, it delays the project even further. And when you need to make a change to something, they're too busy to respond to immediate needs because they're monitoring everything. So that having services that glue all of these, these critical functions together and make it so that you shouldn't have to manually build all of this stuff. It should be automated. It really does save a lot of uh, time and effort.
0: Yeah, uh, I second that uh, because uh, when we were talking to a couple of these companies from finances, they were putting man out to monitor these machine learning pipelines, and they were going bonkers about it. So I agree that in a huge enterprise, um, there are substantial amount of data and uh, a huge amount of models that are in production, but I'm talking about monitoring the machine learning pipeline and automating it from data behavior to model performance. So, this is going to help these data scientists you know, to identify issues and group analysis. And I firmly believe that we should encourage these practices these days, like automating this uh, monitoring process in our industry, given the impending amount of volume of AI and data that are coming our way. It's just starting. And monitoring an AI solution in production is not as straightforward as it seems, as you said. It turns out that only performance monitoring is not enough because, sure, uh, metrics such as accuracy, precision, or recall values are the basis for understanding the model itself. But in high-pressure production environment, just as like we speak of bigger enterprises, knowing a precision or accuracy went down won't solve the problem as quickly as needed to avoid customer impact. So this is why AI monitoring needs in several layers while model performance is a critical aspect data quality data drift and concept drift are also the key to not just detecting problems but solving them proactively so
1: yeah so definitely and and it's it's highly process, use case specific yeah, too i've had the benefit over the last 4 years of interacting with so many different industries so it's it's not like oh i specialize in in retail or something you name it i've interacted with them and it's very fascinating to see how different industries respond to the concept of data drift and model performance drift when speaking about how fast they have to respond to something. A power company, for instance, they're not too terribly worried about their models needing to be retrained more often than every six months or so. I've Mm. seen models that the last time they were trained was, was like five years ago, and you look at the actual prediction versus actuals in their monitoring reports, and they're within, we're talking fractions of, of a, uh, a kilowatt hour on predicting how much demand there's going to be. They're, they're just really robust models, but the underlying data is not really changing that much. The features don't change. And then you talk with you know, large volume financial traders and you realize that they're retraining their models multiple times a day. They have active retraining systems where they're kicking off asynchronous retraining on recent data because the feature drift is so extreme and so fast that they need to respond to that as quickly as possible. And they have to build a lot of infrastructure around that. And it turns out most of that infrastructure code is many times bigger in number of lines of code, complexity, and amount of time to develop than the actual implementation of the solution was to begin with.
3: Mm. Yeah, so a, a lot of the financial companies they really have to, you know, think on the fly because one of the popular systems um being used now is like uh, AML or anti money laundering and even though there's like a lot of things being updated, this is one of the few things where criminals can actually get more inventive than the financial companies themselves. So you train up an AML model and Within a few months or a year, criminals find a very, very inventive solution. So you have to have like professional investigators come in to analyze like all these new crimes. Sometimes you get maybe some new psychological insight into what is going on and can be published like, you know, for its own paper. And I think it also relies on a certain type of openness because some industries, when they see maybe a concept drift, they might fall into like the black swan paradox and think like, oh, you know, there's something wrong. This really can't be true. I mean, that's happened like, let's say with Bernie Madoff because the pr- prospect for fraud was so outrageous that no one could really contemplate it. So, but I think given people are understanding like the fast moving nature of data, they're accommodating it more and more, especially like, you know, given the writings about black swan events and so on.
1: Definitely. I mean, they're they're really tricky. That one that you brought up in particular is is an interesting one. It's events like that which influence the entire industry's need to try to detect those things as quickly as possible. And the more often that they happen, the less often that similar ones happen because people start saying, oh, geez, we don't want that to happen to us. We just saw how that just completely tanked an entire industry. We got to make sure that we're... monitoring all of this stuff but also that we're triggering off of those monitors so and your your company's offering do you offer something like a passive retraining system or an active retraining system where you say okay we've detected this concept drift the model is no longer performing or the model has been trained in a a distribution of the data that the current features coming in have the model's never seen that is there some uh, some functionality where you can call to a, a service and say, hey, retrain the model right now.
0: Yeah, so with a continuous scan of incoming data that is going through the monitor like the data types data, data ranges. So it is possible to track the disturbances and in the input stream even before the model gets chance to predict the garbage value. And uh, especially with uh, the concept and data parameters, it is possible to instantly predict and find potential solutions to these variables and these behavioral drifts, such as statistical changes in data or changes in the relationship between independent and dependent variables. So yeah, I would say this is what is really happening to the data behind the black box of AI solutions. So yeah, we surely can set up those sort of alerts. But Again, this is something very new. Having said that, a Black Swan event can disrupt the entire pipeline anymore. Uh, We won't be seeing that sort of an outlier prior to it. But yeah, there are better predictions and better algorithms are in place. So yeah, we will achieve it.
1: Yeah, something that I've always recommended to people who bring this up about Black Swan events. Like, hey, Mm -hmm. what happens if everything goes crazy and my model starts predicting values that Mm -hmm. are not possible within the realm of physics? You know, you have some linear model and now it's predicting that sales are going to go up in the next day. And you look at the number and you're like, I'm pretty sure that's more than the GDP of our country for the year. I don't think that's going to be possible. So I've always recommended to people to have fallback logic where you have some cap on any prediction and that the end output of that model is never going to be Exceeding that or going below that, so that you have some sort of boundary on there, because you don't want to send to internal business units or certainly to a customer some prediction that just doesn't make any sense. Now, when we're talking, when you mentioned earlier about bias and how how terrible that can be, what sort of response do you typically give to a, a user when they're analyzing their model for some sort of bias, and and how do you communicate
0: that? Yeah. So. Uh, with respect to bias, yes, it can change the prediction and as well as eventually affect the model life cycle. So we address it by keeping threshold so that if the parameters cross that particular threshold, of course, we are going to set up monitors and you know, set up alerts so that you can get to the root cause. And this is how you can observe that if there is a change in, in data quality, and this is one of the greater issues that we are trying to solve: that having the data quality monitored, because this is going to give us the models, and that is going to be impacting the eventually impacting the performance. So, if you can check it from the BGL, that what the data goes and where the data goes on. Of course, we can check it with the performance bias as well as the model fairness. Yeah,
1: yeah I mean, it sounds like it's it's a comprehensive solution. So, what is the roadmap going to look like for the tool? Like, where do you want it? This what is your company's vision over the next two years, five years, 10 years?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. So for the timing, we are focusing on supervised data and we want to explore more into NLP and uh, computer vision data because that's, again, in our roadmap. And we want to perfect our product so that it will be a seamless integration with any of those uh, integration that we are looking at MLM plus time. So that's part one. Second, we want to partnership with all this uh, Amazon company companies that are currently existing in ml because uh, catering to the masses because uh, we are talking about a very niche product in very niche uh, segment of MLs. so we want to uh, scale it through through and through so that would require a lot of you know service integration as well as uh, partnership so what we are saying as well as profit with the product over and over in aspect of explainability because that is the one blackboard we are trying to solve. And yes, uh, by explaining models and model decisions, uh, teams can build better performing and responsible models to increase trust for their stakeholders. So, for example, understanding the why behind model decisions, improved, uh, improving the performance for specific cohorts, and detecting these unwanted bias and fixing models, as well as the ensuring that the models take compliant. So this would be our primary focus and having more and more infrastructure as well as platform models so that it will be a seamless integration for anybody to uh, take a start with. Like that's what I'm seeing. This You were
3: mentioning about explainability. Does your model have like uh, ability for neural networks and explainability for neural networks? Because one of the big bugaboos in businesses is that they love to use neural networks, but unfortunately... it's very hard to get explainable features. Sometimes you have to train like a secondary model that gets like explainability by proxy. And that's probably what's limited a lot of companies from using like the full potential of deep learning because sometimes some of the theorists in deep learning can say that, oh, this model is training so fantastically, but we have no idea like why it's training like that. And business will say, well, if we can't explain it to customers or data scientists, then it's worthless for us, you know?
0: Yeah, completely agree with you. And yes, we are, I won't say that we are there yet, like focusing mm-hmm. on neural
3: and integrating
0: deep learning techniques. But yeah, we are doing these kind of researches uh, as well. And having more and more data and more and more insights is telling us how we are going to build this explainability. Because that's the future. And that's where we want to be. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we are exploring that. And yeah.
2: It's hey folks if you love this podcast and would like to support the show or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages then you're in luck we're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads signing up will help us pay for editing and production and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium
1: so are these things that you would pursue as a build versus or use existing prior art you're saying hey we want to do explainability so we're going to write our own algorithms and to have our own custom approach, or is it, no, we're going to integrate with open source tooling that people use to do this. And for what you're saying, Daniel, that's like simulation modeling. You're like, hey, I'm going to create synthetic features. I'm going to run it through this pre-trained model. I'm going to see what happens. I'm going to hold fixed attributes associated with the the tensor that's going in and then see how I can manipulate it and and what actually happens. Is the intention to do that, like, are you going to staff up to support that or are you just going to use stuff that's out there and integrate it to the, the solution?
0: So our focus is to integrate the explainability section to the monitoring part as well so that you would get to the root cause and you know understand why that particular thing happened and how do you want to find out that. So that's part of the explainability. Too. Of course, once we explore that domain and you know, blend it through, of course, we are going to take it further on keeping it for the open source and making it available. So yeah, that would be the purpose.
1: So your tool, where can people read about it more?
0: Uh, you can go to census.ai and check for the AI observability the platform. Then we have all the evils that basically caters to make you understand step-by-step process of how we are doing problems and how we are solving problems and what are the use cases that we can be catering to, as well as how this business is basically formed and what the product integration look like everything and everything. Even we solve the wikis. Like if you, let's say somebody who's coming from not a pristine data and machine learning background, you wanted to understand the problem. So we made the wiki so that they won't feel like, okay, what is data quality? I don't get it. So they can check it out. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, if a person is coming from MLOps and hasn't really explored the machine learning uh, monitoring segment, or maybe somebody is coming from software development. Okay, software development is not machine learning. So he or she can learn about the adjacent industries as well because we write blogs and very extensively, very uh, amazing, highly encouraged uh, to read about it. So we write about all of these segments as well, from data ingestion, feature engineering, feature stores, and model with time and everything. So we cover those segments as well. So it guides you to model monitoring and model observability. So you
3: can check everything out on the website.
1: All right, sounds good. Do you have any other questions, Daniel? Anything else you wanted to cover?
3: Uh, Yeah, I guess maybe one quick question is like, what do you think you're bringing to the field with your ML Ops software compared to like competitors? Like, where do you think you have an edge? Yes, good question.
0: So I've seen our competitors and they also bring this ML monitoring and observability as well. So I want to bring two aspects of it. First of all, we are an early stage startup and once Mm. we get into with the client, we are going to hold their hands till they get their performance better. And we are going to help them in step by step of every process so that they get their performance better of their model pipeline, as well as we are going to build product with them. That's part one from a human aspect. The second would be we are focusing on this umbrella platform, which is called observability, which comes in model fairness, health, model health, as well as monitoring and explainability. That basically uh, differentiates us and that is why we going to. Stand apart from all of these uh, competitors. That we will deep dive into the root cause of your problem, and we're going to solve it in real time. So that's what we are going to do.
1: Awesome. Yeah. I mean, hopefully, you're enjoying yourself at uh, at the early stage startup. I think it's an interesting phase in the development of a company as you build these really rich relationships with your your early clients, and uh, they almost become like friends, and mm. you work together to solve some really interesting problems. And it it's, uh, it's a lot of work, but it's very rewarding work.
3: Mm. No, it's very true. I mean, startups are working with like all these cutting edge ideas. Sometimes some don't pan out, but then others grow so big. You know, so many companies like Amazon, Microsoft, they started out as startups and, you know, they grew into huge multinational corporations that you see today. So I really think... You know, it sounds great that you're going to be working on something that, you know, might potentially upend the field. Yeah.
0: So adding to that, one thing I would like to say that we really need the solutions tailored to our emerging needs. So the reminder that you should always wrap code that originated in 3rd party companies, especially, especially when you're dealing with young startups. And if you're using open source solutions, you should keep in mind that due to complexity in this emerging field, client or community uh, supports are highly important. And when the need for monitoring becomes apparent, you should make a list of all these features that will be important to you and find a solution that ticks most of the boxes. Now, that's how we want to differentiate ourselves. Mm. So always engage in conversation uh, with the solution providers. And I strongly recommend that talking to a tech-oriented person, we call it. So especially when you're part of a startup because your personal use case may be slightly different than the intended solution that they provide and it may be important for them to support. it. So yeah, I truly hope that this post- this podcast plays out an important role and when you need to adapt and implement a data center-centric monitoring service, uh, you will have all the additional ideas and information. So,
3: mm.
1: All right, so thanks for talking about what your platform is and what you guys are working on. It's a fascinating talk. It's exciting to hear so many so many different companies that are being formed around this problem space, and how far a lot of them are getting into this sort of unified vision of making sure that m l doesn't suck <laughs> when it's in production that we're we're making stuff that's bringing value to businesses to customers to the world in general, hopefully depending on what you're working on so it's great to hear and see so if people want to get in contact with you personally, what's the best way that they can they can ask you questions, just reach out and, and chat with you?
0: Um, uh, they can reach out to me over LinkedIn. So it's pretty easy. Also, yeah, they can reach out to me over my email. It's abilash.gatline.accessions.ai. So, yeah, happy to chat. Happy to talk to people in the industry.
1: All right. We'll have all of those links in the description to the show on the website. So... Yeah, once again, thanks for coming on and and chatting with us. It's just really fun. And uh yeah, hope to hope to talk again someday. So yeah.
3: Yeah. It was a great honor with, uh, to have you. Yeah.
1: All right, so that wraps up this week's episode, everyone. Got to learn about some important aspects of model monitoring, data monitoring, and how to make sure that your productionized ML solutions stay in production and don't get to, told by the business to be turned off. So on behalf of uh, the panel and our guests, thank you so much for tuning in and we'll see you next time.
2: Bandwidth for this segment is provided by CashFly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with CashFly. Visit dot com to learn more.